Welcome back to another episode of Peter's Proffer here in the courtroom of current events. And today we're talking about juveniles and minors. What are their rights? What are their responsibilities? What can they be held liable for? And how does that affect the criminal process when somebody's a juvenile or a minor? Uh, we're going to dive into it from a criminal angle and a civil angle today. We get these questions all the time from parents um, of minors or juveniles when they come into our office with cases. So we're really going to go through what you can expect if you're a parent or if you're someone that's under 18 right now just trying to navigate some kind of legal process. So as always, you can find us on uh, also some social media pages at Tragos Law, or you can send me an email directly, petertragos at greeklaw.com. All right, so to start out, let's kind of set the stage and talk about what are considered or who is considered a juvenile, who's considered a minor. Is it different depending on what court system you're in? Um, start out by just defining that. Yeah, anybody, frankly, under the age of 18 is considered a juvenile, meaning you're not yet of the age of majority. Now, let's just be clear, that is not to be confused with uh, uh, like the age of 21, the age of consent for alcohol. But Right, and we'll go through the different ages that you have to be to do certain things, but just generally speaking, who goes to juvenile court and criminal court? Under the age of 18. Okay, and who's considered a minor in civil cases? Under the age of 18. Right, and so when we're dealing with people that are juveniles or that are minors in these types of, of cases in court, how does that affect, um, we'll start in the criminal courts, right? So how does that affect a, a, a case and a defendant if they're under the age of 18? Well, there's totally two different court systems. Right. There's a juvenile system, which has the juvenile rules, and there's the adult system, which has a totally different set of rules. In the juvenile system, you're under 18. There is no jury when you go to court. It is only the judge that makes the decision. The rules, for instance, you get picked up as a juvenile. At that point, within 24 hours, you see a judge. But before that, you see an intake counselor who makes some decisions. Do you stay in the juvenile detention facility? Do you go home with your parents? Those are the kind of decisions that happen within 24 hours. And then after that, the process of whether you get a lawyer, how you get a public defender, a private lawyer, uh, parents are responsible for paying for even the public defender in the juvenile system. So it's a totally different set of rules. Right. Totally different courts, totally different set of rules, different judge that just handles juvenile cases for the most part. Um, how does it affect what they can be charged with and how they can be sentenced? It depends. Now, if you're a in juvenile court, uh, it's a completely different set of factors right. that's We've taken into consideration. That. It's a completely different court, yeah. completely different. So here's what happens. Um, there is no capital offense as a minor. Okay. No one's, they're not electrocuting. No death penalty No death cases, penalty. Right. There is also normally for very, very serious offenses, if the state attorney's uh, going to make a determination about whether they're going to what's called direct file, meaning charge a juvenile as an adult, if it's going to be very serious, normally they will do that. Well, You've got to start out with there are no <clears throat> there are no criminal cases in juvenile court. They're actually not crimes; they're delinquency. So if you're found guilty of what we would call a crime in juvenile court, you're really just declared a delinquent, and then the judge has the option of putting you on probation, sending you to back to your parents, or sending you to a juvenile detention facility until which is the like, maximum. Which is like jail for juveniles. Right. But the longest you can be in there if you're a juvenile is to your 19th birthday. So your whole 18th year. Right. Your whole 18th year you can be there. 
and then you, you can come back. But uh, what he was saying, there's, I, I think we need to cover is there are four options for juvenile cases. One is uh, that you stay in juvenile court and you go before the judge. Another is you never see a judge. You get arrested on a juvenile case, but the intake officer sends you to a diversion program where you go to a sailing camp or some kind of drug rehab, and then you never go to court and you're never declared delinquent. The other is, and, and Pete was mentioning direct file, where the state attorney's office makes the decision to send you directly to adult court. Then you become an adult for all practical purposes. The adult rules apply, and you can get sent to an adult prison. So if, if you commit a crime the day after your 18th birthday, do you go to juvenile court or do you go to adult court? Adult court. Right. So even though you stay, you can stay in the juvenile detention center that whole 18th year, if you're actually arrested for something in your 18th year, meaning after your 18th birthday, you're, you're not going to juvenile court. That's correct. Now, one other provision, that direct file that I was talking about where the state attorney's office can make a decision, you have to be at least 14 years old for that. There's no bottom age for juvenile court. You can be two years old and go to juvenile court. But to be direct filed directly up to adult court, you have to be at least 14 years but old. But isn't there like an age of accountability with, with crimes? Like wouldn't they usually not arrest a two-year-old? Even though it's not written in the statute, you have to actually know, have a mens rea for a lot of crimes. Well, that, that's, that's mental competence. Right, right, right. Yes, you have to have the intent. Right, right. Be able so to it's form not, the intent. Right, right, exactly. So and that that's kind of how you deal with a case with a two-year-old because that's Obviously not realistic. That was exaggerated. Right, right. But I just want to, I mean, people want to know that. Like can yeah. a two-year-old get arrested? Realistically, they probably won't happen even though there's nothing, I guess you're saying, in the statute that would not let it happen. Right. Okay, um, so... Let's talk about how sentencing works in juvenile court. Let's say, let's say you go to trial. There's no jury, so you just try it in front of a judge. What happens at sentencing? The judge has options. Probation, juvenile detention center, put you on some kind of worker release program, uh, send you home to your parents and put you on curfew. Uh, all of those things are available. But it's frustrating for a juvenile court judge, and I've heard a lot of them say this, that they can't send somebody away for a longer period of time that they're limited to what they can do. And because of that, the legislature recently changed the law, 16 years old, and if you do certain crimes of violence, you automatically become an adult now. So does that mean you get tried in juvenile court or you automatically go to the actual county court? You automatically go to the actual adult court. Okay, so so it's not like a juvenile case gets tried in front of that judge and they can sentence you to adult jail. You have to actually go up to adult court to have that happen. Right. An adult judge right, does that. Exactly. Okay. So anything else in the criminal process that's different for juveniles than for um, than for adults? I mean, I can think of some when you deal there's with a, like interrogation and things like that. How does that affect somebody that's a juvenile versus an adult? Well, there's one other thing about the adult. If you're in the adult court and you're a juvenile, you can actually be sentenced by the adult judge to a juvenile detention center. Okay. So they can actually do that, which, which they can't do, obviously, in other cases. Right. One of the things that's the big difference is between the two is that adult court is designed to punish people. That's the purpose of adult court. Juvenile court is designed. Eh, eh. To, well, yeah. sometimes some I think they're say, saying some yeah. people would say that it's I think rehabilitation some people, as well. For right. sure, I don't think rehabilitation is sure. in the statute. It's purposeful. It's actually no. It's actually listed in the case law. That absolutely, that's one of the purposes of sentencing absolutely. is rehabilitation. Is it all yeah. right? In oh, adult yeah. in juvenile court is absolutely trying to change the behavior of the juvenile. Well, yeah, and to, to Pete's point. Nobody gets rehabilitated in jail. Usually right. you just come out worse than you go in. You, get, so it's you not, become a better criminal in, in prison. In reality, it's not a very great 
rehabilitative process, but I think that's the purpose is to rehabilitate criminals. So anyway, sorry. So, so keep going. What else is different with the civil court? And let's talk a little bit about interrogation. Yeah. In the criminal court. Um, one of the things I remember, this was an issue many, many years ago when I did uh, some research on it. People are under the impression that when you're a juvenile and you ask for your mom and dad, that that somehow implies some sort of judicial duty uh, or imposes a duty on a, on, a, on a police officer. That doesn't. Uh, they still have, uh, you're asking for your mom and dad is not a, 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 a request for counsel. You actually still have to ask for a lawyer. Uh, Meaning the cops can't stop or don't have to stop questioning a juvenile just because they ask for their mom or dad. Correct. Okay. Yep. Does a cop have to get parental um, consent to question a juvenile? No. So they can do an investigation, pick a juvenile up from school, take them to the station and question yes. them. And they can go through their locker at school if they have obviously have... Uh, I was going to say they, they still have to give consent for course. an officer to search their locker. They have the same rights in that situation Unless as an adult. Unless the police officer has reasonable suspicion, at which point... But they, they would against there. an adult too. Yeah, So absolutely. I'm just talking differentiating a juvenile versus an adult. They have all the same rights to say, no, you can't search my locker. And they can have the same right to say, I want my lawyer, in which case the cops have to stop asking them questions. But most of them do, in fact, just ask for their mom or their dad. Right. The most common and most irritating to me is the police commonly go to the school. They pull the kid out of school. They take him to the principal's office. They sit him in the principal's office and they start questioning him. And the parent doesn't know. The uh, student is sitting there in the principal's office talking to the police officers. So they talk to him. And... There's nothing you can do about it. Right. You can't stop And they're it. thinking about it like when you go to the principal's office, obviously you're going to answer the principal's questions, so they just right. answer the cop's questions, right? All right, what else? Anything else in the criminal courts that you can think of or anything else in the process or their rights that are different than adults? Yes, they have 21 days in the juvenile court to charge them. If they don't charge a child within 21 days, they have to release the child. Case is dismissed. We also have something neat in the sentencing scheme. Uh, you've got obviously your juvenile sentencing, you've got your adult sentencing, but there's something called youthful offender. And there's a statute in the adult courts that gives some extra leniency towards young people under the age, George, what is it, 24? 24. Uh, that if they commit a crime somewhere between the ages of 18 and 24, they have, the judge has the option of... So not technically juveniles, but... Correct. Just over, yeah, over the cusp, as we say. And the court has the option to, uh, you know, to sentence them to a lighter sentence based on that statute. And I thought of one more important uh, distinction. So you get, let's say you get convicted of a juvenile crime or whatever you call it, delinquency. Can somebody search that on your record? Can that be found? How does it work when you are 40 years old, but you have a juvenile crime? People think that your juvenile stuff is automatically sealed when you turn 18. That's not true. Um, most juvenile offenses will always be sealed because you're not allowed to see anything that happened before the age of 18 unless you then commit an adult crime at which point your juvenile record becomes part of your adult record. And again, it depends on the timing of those convictions. It depends on what you were uh, adjudicated delinquent on. Generally speaking, a juvenile crime is not a public record. Exactly. However, it is not sealed. Meaning the state attorney's office or law enforcement can see that you have that juvenile record right. or, and they can you know, take that into account. But if you apply on a job application or something like that, a lot of times you don't have to disclose juven your juvenile record. Right. But you can seal a juvenile record right. with the, the statutory sealing or expunging, which totally gets rid of it. 
But again, being secret doesn't mean somebody else can't see it. Right. Especially like government agencies, right. you, you want to go into the military or something like that. They're probably going to be able to find your juvenile record. Okay. I think that pretty much covers the criminal section. So now moving on to how a, a juvenile or we'll say a minor um, in civil court, how does that change things, Pete? What are the rights of juveniles? What are their responsibilities? What's different about it? A juvenile doesn't have the right to minors. bring a cause. We'll yeah, a minor. Minors, okay. yeah. a minor doesn't have a right to bring a cause of action. So normally what will happen is... Means bringing a cause of action means filing a lawsuit against somebody. Right, making a claim. Right. Uh, so what will have to happen is someone who is an adult has to make that claim on their behalf. So what, you know, what you'll normally see in the court filings is so-and-so as guardian or as you know, parent or next best friend is an, as a legal term that we use of the minor's initials. Because right. They're, because they're a minor, you can't put their name in the public record. Right. So... P.S. a minor. Right. That's how they would say it for Peter Sardis. They wouldn't put his actual name in. You just put P.S. comma a minor. So everybody dealing with the case knows that this is a minor so that people can't look up and see what happened to other people when they were kids. The next thing that's huge for minors is that the court, for the most part, has to approve minors' settlements. And that court approval process is a, a mix of, is this a good settlement for the minor? And number two, how is it being structured? Who's taking care of the money? Because the courts uh, have a duty to protect those minors and make sure that the guardians are making good decisions on their behalf. I think we have to understand when we're talking about settlements, we mean an insurance company is paying money to that minor for an accident. Well, they can't pay it directly to the minor. So the court then has to set up some kind of a trust. Well, there's different ways minor. you can do it. So right. at the end of a case, you can. There are cases where the money just goes to the parent. Those but are usually smaller minor. cases, right? Obviously, no. Then most minors don't have bank accounts, right. but yeah, they don't give cash to the minor. But they, you can have a situation where the money goes directly to the parent. The parent's going to spend it in the best interest of the minor, hopefully. Um, but then there are other situations, especially when the cases get bigger, that the court has to take some um, initiative in that process. They have to make sure it's going to go into a trust that's going to be good for the minor. The minor, you can set it up to where the minor is going to get payments at 18, 21, 25, or certain things like that. There are companies that, that work on these structured settlement type of deals that make sure it's in the best interest of the minor because, as shocking as it may seem, sometimes the parent or the guardian doesn't have the minor's best interest in mind. So you have to set it up in a way where they can't even touch the money except for things for the minor. And for our purposes, at least for our, our listeners, think of $15,000 as that threshold amount. If it's more than $15,000, you got to do stuff. Plus, I think we need to also mention guardian ad litems. Right. Which are appointed by the court when, let's say, you have parents that are arguing about where the money is going to go. Then the judge appoints a neutral. Guardian ad litems are volunteers in the court system that come in and only protect the child's interest. So they look at the child's interest and try to settle any arguments so that the child is protected. So basically what they do is they look through the case. We give them the factual scenario or they look at the complaint. They look at the amount of money, even if it's confidential, what we settled for. They look at the attorney's fees. They look at the cost. They look at the medical bills. And then they look at the amount that's going to the minor. And they, you know, and a lot of them are lawyers. Do you have to be a lawyer to be a guardian? You don't have item? to be, no. So, but a lot of them that we've worked with have been lawyers that do these kinds of cases. So they'll look and see if they think it was a fair settlement or if, you know, we're just settling quick to get out of the case and we need to go get more money or 
you know, if we really hit a home run with it or whatever, they'll really push for that settlement to go through as opposed to sometimes if a parent wants to stop a case because they realize, wait, I'm not getting all this money. So then the guardian ad litem sometimes can explain to the court, this is a settlement that is absolutely beneficial to the minor. It's a settlement that should go th- that could go through and the court can overrule the parent or guardian in that situation to enforce the settlement for the benefit of the minor. All right. And then when we talk about age of majority for different activities, you know, we all know 16 years old to drive, 18 years old to smoke, 18 years old to get into bars and clubs, things like that, 21 years old to drink. How does this age of majority deal with um, adult activity and what minors can do? And if they're doing certain activities, even though they're minors, they get treated like adults. How does that all work together? An adult activity is actually a term of art. And what it basically means is even though you may not be 18 years of age, because you are engaging in a, open quote, adult activity, like driving a car, you are subjected to the adult penalties for that particular activity. So, if you're- I think there is a difference. That's why, on adults, if you're under 21, it's .02 if you have alcohol in your system. If you're over 21, it's .08 to be DUI. So there is a distinction if you're doing an adult activity like drinking and if you're under 21 when you're driving a car. That's because it's already a crime to drink anything when you're under the age of 21. But he's talking more about, civilly speaking, if you are driving a car, because you can't just sue a minor for something, you sue their parent right. or whatever. But if some, if a 16-year-old is driving a car, you can sue them because they're doing an adult activity. And you, what you wind up doing is you'll sue the whoever owns the car sure. and the parent on behalf of the minor. Right. So so when, when kids are doing adult activities, they can be held liable for those adult activities. And I think another one that always comes up is like fireworks, right? Right, anything that could hurt somebody right. really is the driving way you think a of boat, it. driving a car, things like that that are for adults because you're not really just it's different than if you're playing basketball and you elbow somebody in the face or something like that and not not necessarily an adult activity. Right, and there's also, you know, and this is kind of I'm going out into the weeds now for a moment. As a parent, if you know that your kid has issues with a specific adult activity and you still allow them to participate in that activity, they then can become personally liable for your as a child's intentional bad acts. And that, as just kind of an overarching theme of a juvenile and minor podcast, you as the parent or as an employer can be held responsible for almost anything a minor under your control is doing. Right. So it can almost always come back to you. And then a lot of it gets into what knowledge you have or should have had about your child or somebody that you're the guardian of. Um, okay. So to finish off, let's talk a little bit about emancipation, um, what kind of the process looks like and what it can allow you to do. Well, emancipation is someone underage, under 18, but they want to be an adult. We hear this a lot in celebrities where they want to manage their own money. They don't want their parents watching over them anymore. So they're 16 years old. They're very successful singers. So they petition the court to become adults. That's what emancipation means. Once they do that, for, the, for everything else they do, they can sign contracts. They can make deals. We didn't even talk can, about that, actually. Right. So so let's talk about what minors can't do in a civil world. And one of them you just brought up is signing contracts, right? What else can they not do that emancipation now allows them to do? They can rent a house, they can rent a car, they can buy a car. The major issue is that other than what are called life staples, meaning food and fuel, a minor is technically not bound to any contract they get involved in. So if you're 15 years old or 16 years old and you go and you have, let's just say you have the money, you go buy a car and you don't actually make the payment, the car dealership can't sue you 
because that for to enforce that contract because they're a contract with a minor that's not emancipated. Therefore, it's interesting that's not considered adult activity. Right? Well, you, well, you know what else is interesting? If that minor showed them an ID saying they were 21 years yep. old, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because yep. it's their real age because the law is designed to protect the minors. minors. Right. Right. So, and and when you say you know they can't enter into a contract, there's so many things that go into it. They can't hire a lawyer. We always have to have their parent or legal representative. They can't file a lawsuit like we already talked about. They can't buy anything significant. So, it not being able to enter into a contract is a much bigger deal than it sounds. Like getting a credit card, you know, all that stuff is getting a driver's license, right? Unless mom or dad or somebody signs for, signs for, it. for it. Exactly. Yeah. So the emancipation process then, I guess, is a a. Uh, system within the court system that allows them to become adults even though they're under the age of 18. And that's why you hear about celebrities doing What type so of much. factors are taken into account in an emancipation well, process? Maturity. Yeah, sometimes they're examined by a psychologist to see, all right, is this person mature enough? Do they make wise decisions? Do are they, they able to care doing? for themselves? Things right. like that. Yeah. And sometimes the incompetence of their parents can come into play as well. Right. It, it can, or if the parents are stealing money or embezzling money from them and they want to manage their own money, which happens. Right. Isn't that the Macaulay Culkin? Uh... There's a ton of, of celebrity ones, but I'm yeah. also talking about, it's not just celebrity cases, no. but it's also people that grow up in troubled homes, right? And they're 16 years old, in and out of foster care in their parents' house. They have a job at McDonald's or whatever, and they want to get emancipated so they can just get their own apartment and get out on their own or two feet. Or they want to get married. Right, exactly. So, I mean, there are things in the, not just celebrities, but there are other reasons that you can kind of want to make these adult decisions. And the court looks at whether or not you're able to take care of yourself um, mentally and physically able to actually take care of yourself. Anything else, Pete, on emancipation? That's pretty much it. All right. So basically we've gone through what it looks like in the different court systems for juveniles and minors and what it looks like for the parents or the guardians if you're dealing with those types of cases. So hopefully you enjoyed this episode and we'll be back with you guys next time.